there are two service, two types of messages in the church that everybody cringes over, right? The first one is sex, and the <laughs> and the the second one is money. So. This particular series, of course, everybody's slightly on edge and everybody's like, what are they going to say? And I have the great privilege of doing our second week this week. And the second week is actually really important. Now, if you missed the first week, I'd just like to say that when we do a series, it's about layering a principle upon a principle, about getting a deeper understanding. So if you only caught one I would highly recommend that you go and listen to last week's one. And if for some reason you're not going to be here next week or the week after, you need to go and listen to them because you cannot gain the full teaching if you only hear one of the messages or you only hear two of the messages. All right, so when we do series, that's the whole point, is to layer understanding, is to get you thinking about these things in a way that is real and tangible. And that's one of the ways that we at Revive like to teach. I don't want you to have a partial teaching. I want you to have the whole teaching. And so um, hopefully most of you are here. So I'm going to have to make a few assumptions that you all were because I don't want to have to completely recap everything that Craig said last week because if we do that, we're going to be here for a long time. So I will make some assumptions in this message. So last week, two things that you had to come away with, we, we got good news last week and we got bad news, right? And they were the same news. It was that we are rich. Do you guys all remember that? Yeah, that we're all rich. Those of us who own a car, everybody own a car, we're rich. And if you own two cars, oh my gosh, you're in like the top 2% of the whole entire world. So, so we make the assumption. So when we talk today, I'm going to be saying that you're rich and it's coming from that, that position. So if you missed last week, go back and listen, all right? So I don't want you sitting here going, I'm not rich. You'll understand, all right? So I'm going to talk about something that is going to be quite uncomfortable for some of you. I'm just going to be totally honest, right? I'm not talking about sex. I'm talking about money. And some of you are going to be uncomfortable with this conversation. Now, if you are a non-Christian, if you're a person who does not follow Jesus and you're sitting in this, this message, meeting and listening to this message, you can actually sit back and relax because this actually does not pertain to you whatsoever. This particular message is for those people who call um, Jesus their Lord. For those of us who are disciples, for those of us who follow Jesus, this message is specifically for you. And what I want to talk about is how we can become really, really excited and really, really passionate about becoming a rich giver. Now, when we say the word rich, we're not talk, I'm not talking in monetary terms as in $1,000, $10,000. We're meaning it more in a percentage of where you currently are at, all right? Does that make sense? All right. So... The scripture that this whole entire series is based on is found in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 to 19. And just to refresh it for everybody, it goes like this. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. All right, so it's important that you remember that. Even meditate, look up the scripture yourself in your own time over the next couple of weeks. So the question I have is, how many of you want to be below average? Anyone want to be below average? 
No, no one wants to be below average. Based on the studies that have been done in, in America and in um, Australia and even in England, unfortunately there's not, nothing specific to New Zealand, so, but the, the trends are there and we can honestly say that New Zealand fits the same trends. If you are rich, and you are, we've established that last week, it is highly likely that you are actually a below average giver. Now half of you are offended. And you know what? Welcome to Revive. We were going to make you feel really good about yourself. <laughs> so it's, it's highly likely, according to the statistics of studies that have been done throughout Christian churches around the world, that it is highly likely you are a below average giver. Studies actually show that 20% of givers who live under what is considered the living wage give twice as much as those who live in the 20% most earners in the Christian church. So those who earn less are giving more than those who earn more at a percentage basis. We hear that and we think to ourselves, well, that can't be right, right? When I read those statistics, I was shocked. How can those who earn less percentage of their income give more to the church than those who are wealthy, who are mega rich, who have all this extra money? It just doesn't make sense. It doesn't, but it's actually accurate. And part of that is because of the, the level that we live is so debt-infused, right? Because there is an area in our lives where because of where we live and how New Zealand is the same as what, it, what you see in Australia, it's the same as what you see in America, that we are above average, so this is going to be good for you, we are above average in spending money. In fact, some of us are so good at spending money, we actually spend more than we actually earn. Right? You, you know what I'm talking about. Some of us spend more money than we actually earn, so we're above average with our spending. This is actually not a good thing. We actually have some of the highest, we carry some of the highest debt in the world. We are living beyond what our means are. But in all honesty, I believe if you can lay a hold, if you can grasp these principles that we're going to be teaching over these next few weeks, that you will actually be able to become and understand that you are a blessed person, that God has made you rich, and he has made you rich because we are called to be a blessing to those around us. We are blessed so we can bless others, right? That is what we are called as Christians to do. And I believe that if you pay attention to this, you're going to have a shift in your thinking. You're going to gain a principle that's going to change the way that you view money and how and why God has given it to you. So the question becomes, why did God make us rich? Seriously, why did God make us rich? The first thing is he made you rich so that you can enjoy it. Now, that may be shocking to some because people have this perception that Christians need to be poor. That's not what God wants. He actually wants you to enjoy your wealth. He wants you to enjoy the blessings that he's given you. He wants you to actually enjoy it. It says in 2 Corinthians 9 verse 11, You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. You have been made rich so that you can then take what God has blessed you with and then turn around and bless somebody else with it. It doesn't mean that you have to live poor. What it means is that he will bless you enough so that you can live nice, you can live and enjoy the wealth that you have, but so that you can set aside some and you can give to somebody else. 
For those of you who were in our church last year, do you remember when Tear Fund came through, right? And they did a whole thing about sponsoring kids in Uganda. Because Craig had been over to, to visit our wonderful missionaries who are back from South Africa, and he went and spent a week in Uganda. He went into the slums, and his heart was so moved that when he came back, he told the whole church about it, about how his heart was moved for these wonderful, beautiful children who are in this situation. And then he arranged for Tear Fund to come in and for our church to individually sponsor these kids. What was interesting was Tefan said it's the most, the biggest response they've ever had in a church. They have been in the big churches in New Zealand and they never got that kind of response. So us and our small little church managed to pull out a response greater than our churches who have thousands of people. And that is to your benefit. That, is to, that, is just, that just talks about the character that you have. But what's been really cool is that we get these letters from our sponsor children, right? Everyone get letters? Those of you who are sponsoring get letters, right? And this one letter we got the other day, and it said, and, it, and this just blew me away. And it says, I thank God for the Jordan family. And I pray that God will keep blessing you. And I thank you because without you, I wouldn't have the ability to go to school. And it absolutely broke my heart. And if you were here at Christmas time, you would have seen the video from Uganda, right? Where they actually did a thank you to different people. It was amazing, right? Didn't you feel good about that? Didn't that make you feel good? And that is what God is talking about. He has blessed you so you can bless someone else so that they can thank God. You see, that child would never have had an opportunity to thank God if we hadn't have actually given out of ourselves. And that's what he's talking about. That is why our generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. 1 Timothy 6, 18 says, Command those who are rich to do good to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. I like that, to be rich in good deeds. And next week, Pastor Anna is going to share an amazing message about being rich in good deeds, and you don't want to miss that. But he says, he didn't say in this message to suggest to rich people. He didn't say to encourage rich people. He didn't say to build them up and hope that maybe they would. He didn't say wait for them to get their finances in order and have a little bit of money in the bank and then they will. What he says is command them to be generous and willing to share. And I was thinking about that and once you get over the whole I'm rich and you actually understand that, I was thinking about how do we make that shift? Because in all honesty, the world that we currently reside in, and, and West, in New Zealand with our Western kind of values, we don't really think like that. So how do you make the shift? How do we get people to start thinking that way? And during, if you've been doing night school on a Monday night, who's been doing night school? Yeah, it's been really good. So if you haven't done night school, I, I encourage you to sign up. But those of us who have been doing night school, one of the things that we've been learning about is making declarations. And the direct declarations are for two things. One is to change the way that you think about something. Change how you think about it. Uh, say it enough times that it becomes a part of your belief system. And so I was thinking, like, looking through the, the messages as we've been doing them, how can we make a declaration to get ourselves, because I have to do this as well, to stop thinking about myself and begin to think about the money as a vehicle to get people to thank God. And so this is what we came up with. God has blessed me with more than I need. I'm rich. I will not trust in riches, but in him who richly provides. Because I have more, I will give more. God has blessed me with more than I need. I am rich. I will not trust in riches, but in him who richly provides. Because I have more, 
I will give more. So we need to declare that. We need to say that. We need to change the way that we think. We need to get our minds to shift. We need to create a new value in our life. And how we do that, you can do that through declaration. So how do truly rich people give? So we're going to excel in the grace of giving, and we're going to make a difference with what God has given us, and we're going to be people who are going to be bold and courageous. How do we do that? There are two ways, that, two things that we need to do, two big thoughts that we have around how truly rich people give. The first one is, it needs to be strategic. It can't just be random. It has to be strategic. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7 says, Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, I don't know about you, but I have been in uh, services, in churches and in conferences, and they get up and they do these long-ass offering messages, right? And they twist at your heart, and they pull on your emotions, and you feel slightly manipulated, but then you feel bad, and if you don't give, and everybody's looking at you, and what if you don't put any money in, right? Have you ever experienced that? Yep, you know what I'm talking about, right? But if you have decided in your heart what you are going to give, you will not be given into manipulation. You will not be given into arm twisting. Your emotions won't be pulled in one direction or the other because you and God have already made a decision prior to know what you're going to give. When years and years, decades ago now, which just makes me sound old, we um, were part of a church called South City. And at South City, they ran this conference called Youth Invasion. And Youth Invasion was this amazing week-long conference for youth, and at, at, in the, at the height, I think there was about a thousand delegates, which was really awesome for decades ago. And but what would happen was, every single service, and there were about four or five of them in a day, there would be an offering message. And honestly, by the end of the second day, there was you had no money left for lunch, you had no money left for dinner because, like, your heart was just being torn all the time, so you're constantly putting money in. Took me a couple of years to get wise and go, hold on a minute. I actually can't keep doing that as much as I would like to. So what I did was, God and I had a conversation. Okay, God, I'm going to give this much. And then I was smart, and I broke it up into the, how many sessions there were so that I could give it into each session. So you've got to make that decision. You have got to decide in your heart what you're going to give so you will not give reluctantly or under compulsion because God loves a cheerful giver. So what you've got to do is you have to pray about it. You have to, if you're married uh, or, you know, you've got to ask, have conversations. What do you think we should give? You need to brainstorm about it. Ask God, God, how much do you want me to give? You need to seek God and make a decision. So that when you come somewhere and there's an offering message, you're not going to feel pressured. You're not going to feel twisted. You're not going to feel manipulated. You're not going to feel resentful but you're going to have the attitude of, yes, I've come ready to give. I know what I'm giving. Because remember with God, it's never actually about how much you give. It's actually about the fact that you're giving. And if you go somewhere and you feel pressured or you feel like they're manipulating you, then one or two things is happening in your world. One is you actually have a slack attitude towards giving, or the second one is you actually haven't been strategic. You haven't thought about it and you haven't prayed about it. At Christmas time, I come up with this great idea for a, a gift for Craig. See, we have this thing. Craig loves to give me gifts. Gift, gifts. Receiving gifts is not my love language. But for some reason, 
Craig loves to give me gifts. He loves to give me expensive, extravagant gifts. And I'm not allowed to do the same. Like, he gets so mad if I come up with a gift, particularly if I manage to outgive him. It's like he just gets, he does, it's, like, it's like the worst thing ever. doesn't matter if it's our anniversary or if it's his if birthdays or Christmas. It's just, it's absolutely terrible. And so I have to be sneaky because if I just visa something, right, he'll check the account, see how much I spent. He may, not, he may know where I brought it, he may not know what it is, but then he'll go and make sure that he's outbrought me, right? So then I used to do sneaky things, like say to one of my sisters, do you have any room in your visa card? Because <laughs> I need you to buy this thing, and then I'll give you the cash so he doesn't know what I'm buying him. But at Christmas time, I came up with this idea for a gift for him, and I was so excited about it, and I had done the sneaky thing of swiping some cash from one of my family members and giving them, the, like, you know, so that he couldn't see that what was coming through, like what it was or anything like that. We kind of did this, this deal, which is fine. And then I very excitedly went and brought him the gift. But then, because what I brought him was a golf membership, right? Which I thought was boring, but I knew he was going to love it. Because he hasn't played golf for a long time, and he loves playing golf, right? So I thought, right, I have to get this golf membership. But because it was this tiny little card. I'm like, well, this isn't going to look very impressive. So then I went and bought this other little box to kind of hide it in, and then I wrapped it all up, and then I hid it. But I was so excited about this gift. Like, it was all I could think about for the three weeks leading up to Christmas. I was just like, yes, he's going to love this gift. I have so outgiven him this year. I'm going to win. That's not why you give gifts. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, honestly, I was super, super excited. And so Christmas morning comes, and I managed, you know, the night before to sneak it in, because we did the whole thing, you can't put presents under the tree until Christmas Eve. So anyway, so after the church service, I managed to sneak it in. So he didn't even know it was there. Then come Christmas morning, he's handing out the gifts, and then it's this odd little package. He has no idea. And he knows it's from me, and he's like, what is it? And he's like, trying to ask all these questions. Just open the gift, right? So he opens the gift, and he's blown away. I'm like, yes, I win the gift. Um, but he was so excited. But the thing is, I was so excited to give it to him. My enjoyment and the three weeks of me knowing that he was going to love this gift, I lived off that for those three weeks. I was super excited about it. It made the whole of December exciting and great. And that's the attitude we need to take in when we're giving to God. You need to be that excited. Why? Because we love the people that we give to, right? We're excited to give to them. Now, the challenge for most of us is that quite often as rich people... We give spontaneously, and that's okay. You know, when the Christchurch earthquakes happened, our church did up a massive offering. We gave spontaneously into that, and we actually got together, I think it was about $10,000, if I remember correctly, and we as a church gifted that to the church in Christchurch, and that was spontaneous. And it may be that in your small group, somebody in your small group, you know, they've lost their job, and they need help paying the rent, or they need someone to buy groceries. And so as a small group, you all chip in, and you can give spontaneously into that. Or maybe when the bubble ever opens, and we go, we can travel again, we have a missions trip to Fiji. Now, you might be a person who says, I can't go to Fiji, but I'm going to give $500 into somebody else going. That is awesome. We need to be spontaneous givers. But if that's the only way you're giving, you are limiting yourself. You see, truly rich people give strategically. When the three wise men decided that they were going to go and visit Jesus, what did they do? They went and they organized themselves. They decided to gather an offering. They got gold, they got frankincense, and they got myrrh. And then they traveled to Jesus. What they didn't do was jump on their camels, get to Bethlehem and go, oh, we've got a gift for the baby, we better duck down to the warehouse, Right? That's not what they did. They were strategic. 
about what they did. Now, Craig and I, we give strategically. We have a, a, an agreement between each other, because when you're married, you must have agreement. If you're, when you're talking about your giving and your finances, you must have agreement. We have an agreement. And we do what the Bible calls tithe. We actually tithe. Now, if you're not a Christian in this place, then you're going to be really happy that you're not by the time I finish this conversation. Because, you know, you're going to be like, oh, thank you, good, you know, I don't have to do that. If you're a Christian, you absolutely have to do this. This is not a suggestion. This is a command. The Bible very clearly says, when you pray, pray like this. When you fast, fast like this. When you give, give like this. So, there's a really awesome scripture in Malachi chapter 3, verses 10 to 12. Now, I absolutely love this passage. And the reason why I love this passage is that when I was first saved, our pastor at the time preached this every offering message about five or ten minutes every single Sunday, morning and night, because we had night services in those days, um, morning and night um, for 18 months on the same passage of scripture. And in that 18-month period, we were in a church in the middle of South Auckland, but at the end of that 18-month period, every person who was without a job was employed, and every person who was struggling financially was out of debt, and every person in the church who, um, who was in any financial position, at the end of the 18 months, no one. No one was in any debt. No one was in any financial struggle. It was an amazing season in the church. Did everybody start that straight away at the beginning of the 18 months? No, a whole lot of us had to work our way through what does it meant. So Malachi chapter 3 verse 10 says, Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there will not be room enough to contain it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sake so that he will not destroy the fruit of the ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. And all the nations will call you blessed and you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. Now this is not in my notes, but this I think is really important. Whenever you see in the Bible where it says the words the Lord of hosts, they're talking about the commander of the army. We're talking about God turning up with his army. We're talking about God being victorious. So when he says, as the commander of the army, with the whole of the heaven's armies behind him, that he's going to rebuke the devourer on your behalf, he's going to rebuke the devourer on your behalf. You will experience victory. And some of you need to know that, that when God says, and he rocks up there as the Lord of hosts, he is rocking up there to wage war. One of the reasons, the number one reasons why we tithe is spiritual warfare. It is absolutely spiritual warfare. It says to the devil, screw you, I don't care, and I'm going to follow God. And it is about victory. It is about proclaiming faith. It is about proclaiming a lot more than just throwing money into the offering bucket as it comes past. Right, so back to my notes. So we're going to, Malachi chapter 3 verse 10, the first part, bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Bring how much of the tithe? All, not some, not a little bit, but all. Tithe is the, comes from the Hebrew word mesa, which means a tenth. It means a tenth of your income, a tenth of whatever it is that you do, you bring that into the storehouse. The storehouse, all modern day scholars believe, is the New Testament church. It's not a power church organization. It's not, you know, some other church group down the road that's, you know, looking after I don't know, what do they do, music or whatever. It's not a worship team, it's not that. It is literally the local church. 
That's where your tithe belongs. Your offerings you can do whatever you like with, but the tithe belongs in the local church. Now, in our family, our strategy begins with returning 10% of our income to God. Now, Craig and I have made that decision long before we were married, when we were single, but as a married couple, that is still our decision. We also make the decision that we do it on our gross income, not on our net income. That's a conversation you can have with God about where you stand with that. And the reason why we do that is that we believe that the local church, that the scripture teaches that the local church is the only vehicle that God has on this earth to extend his kingdom. So we, therefore, believe wholeheartedly in the local church. Now, some of you are probably sitting here and saying, why would you do that? Why would you tie? Why would you give God, why would you give the church 10% of your income? Honestly, I believe the scripture teaches it. If God teaches it, if God says it, then, then that's what we do. Now, some of you are going to say to yourself, say, oh, it's actually an Old Testament principle. It's not a New Testament principle. I believe with all my heart that Matthew 23, 23, Jesus clearly affirms the tithe in the New Testament. I believe that the tithe is actually just the starting point. The New Testament actually calls us to give so much more than 10%. You know, this is like ground for giving. We have done this for our whole entire married life, very joyfully. I do not sit back and go, oh, gee, I wish I had that extra money. I've never once had that thought. The thing with tithing is that it actually teaches me to put God first. It teaches me to put God first. Deuteronomy 14.23 in the Living Bible says, the purpose of tithing is to teach you to always put God first in your life. It's a constant reminder that God blesses me in a significant way and that I worship him for it. And out of that, through Jesus Christ and all the blessings that I've received, I put God first. I put God first. I think about it like this. I give God my first and my best and I trust him with, to bless the rest of what I have. I trust him to bless the rest of what I have. Now, some of you are probably think I should have skipped church, right? Being honest, some of you are like, oh, it's not the best message. And I get that it's, it's uncomfortable for us. And some of you are probably sitting here saying, you don't understand. For me to do that, Trin, for me to actually to live like that, to give God 10% of my income, means I have to completely rearrange my life. I have to change my priorities. I have to reorganize what I think is important in my life. Is that, is, is that what you're actually saying? Yes. Yes, it is. That's exactly what I'm saying. It's absolutely exactly what I'm saying, that you should have to rearrange your life to do something incredibly spiritual to make sure that God is the first, that God is first. This is a very tangible way. We can say we put God first, but how do you prove that you put God first, right? This is one of those things that we do. Now, some of you can do this really easily. And there are those of us who tithe, and as Craig said, our church increased by 8% on their tithe last, last year. That was amazing. But some of us are going to struggle. The second thing that tithing does is it increases our faith in God. You see, what happens is, is that I give God 10% of my income, and then I live off the other 90%. Of course, admittedly, I have to give some to the uh, in their revenue. So I give them some, and then whatever, Right? What you will understand, if, if you have the opportunity, talk to people in your small group who tithe, and they will tell you this is what happens. For some unknown, bizarre reason, God will actually cover everything. Wow. 
that you need with the 90% that you have left. Now, sometimes it doesn't make sense, but this is what God does. What happens is, is he comes along, and, and honestly, I've had countless conversations with people when they start tithing, and then all they go, yep, I'm going to tithe, and they begin to tithe, and then all of a sudden, God begins to bless them financially, or he begins to bless them in ways that they don't understand, and at the end of the month, they look back and they say, I don't understand how I had enough bills to cover all money, cover all the bills, as well as tithe, and I've still got some left over. Who knows what I'm talking about? Who's experienced it? Yeah, you need to go and, those of you who don't tithe or are scared to tithe, go and talk to those people because they will tell you. I'm not saying that what happens is, is that, you know, you tithe and then you go home and somebody's magically brought a boat for you. What I am saying is that God will prove himself faithful. He will absolutely, totally prove himself faithful to you. And you know what? It actually takes faith to give first. It takes faith to give to God first. If you're waiting to the end of your week to see how much money you have left over, there's no faith in that. You're just tipping God with your leftover. And you have to remember that that's exactly how God gave to us. Don't miss this. In Scripture, it says that while we were still sinners, Christ gave his life for us. Before we had even come to know him, before we had even worshipped him, he gave his life for us. So before I live out my days, before I live out my week and pay my bills, I give to God first. The second part of Malachi chapter 3, verse 10 says, And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out such a blessing that there will not be room enough to contain it. This passage of scripture, God actually invites us to try him, to prove him. This is the only time in scripture we're ever allowed to put God to the test. You're not allowed to do it over anything else. But this one, God says, try me. Do it. Verify his trustworthiness. Give it a go. He says that we are withholding, when we withhold our giving to him, that we're robbing him of the ability to bless us abundantly. And he will. He says if we give to him, then he will definitely give back to us. Now, I don't want to be insensitive for those of you who are in relationship with non-Christians, and so you're like, well, I can't. I can't just do that. I would recommend you have a conversation. For those of you who have massive amounts of debt and this whole concept is very scary, do you know what I would recommend you do? Start with $5. Say, I'm going to tithe $5. God, here's my $5. And you do that for, say to God, God, I'm going to tithe this $5. I'm going to trust you to get me out of this debt. And then after six weeks, you up it to $10. And then say the same thing, God, I'm trusting you, I'm giving you $10 now, and I'm trusting God that you're going to prove to me that you're going to get me out of this debt. And then after another six weeks, you're up to $15. I know people who have literally done that, and they have tithed their way out of debt. So take those moments, take that chance. This is about trusting God. See, in our family, we worship God first. Madison and Seth, from the time they received pocket money, have tithed on their pocket money. Because I wanted them to have this principle instilled in them so that they never have to do that whole, oh my gosh, I'm starting to tithe and how scary it is. Because if you grow up doing it, it's easy. You don't even think about it. But we give him our first and our best. And we believe that he's going to bless the rest. Tithing teaches us to put God first. It stretches us and it builds our faith in God. And that's the first part of the strategy that Craig and I live our lives by. Rich people... Give strategically. We've decided in our heart what we're going to give. In other words, we've prayed about it. 
We've thought about it. We've talked about it. We don't just give spontaneously. We do do that in some moments, but that's not the only way we give. And then we decide that we're not going to give under compulsion. We're not going to give reluctantly. We're going to give joyfully. That's what we do because we're rich. Because we have more, we will give more. So I'm going to tell you about our strategy without giving any amounts because, you know, that's irrelevant. So the first thing we do is we tithe. We make a decision at the start of every year. We talk about what we're going to do. We tithe. Our 10% goes. That's not even a conversation. That's just what we do. Then we support um, children in Uganda. That is something we do out of our offerings. That's an offering that we give. Then we actually give into missions. We give into missions at the church, and we also give into individual missions, missionary people. People that we feel a connection to or just missionary uh, areas that they're going into that we feel a connection to. Then we give into what? Uh, we give into the building fund or kingdom builders. Why? Because we wholeheartedly believe in the value of the local church. We believe in this building itself needs to be upkept and kept upon. And we also believe in planting campuses later on down the track. So why? that's why we give some of our incomes directly into kingdom builders. We give according to our values. We give our tithe because that's what God says. Everything else, where we put the rest of our money through offerings, is done on the values that we hold. You will have different values. And God will expect you to give into those, the things that you hold dear, the things that, that challenge your heart, the things that you want to see moved. And that is how we give strategically. It says in 2 Corinthians 8 verse 7, Since you excel in so many ways in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and your love from us, I want you to excel also in the gracious act of giving. We want you to give also as a gracious act of giving. The second thing that we do, the way that rich people give, is we first of all, we give strategically. The second thing is that we give sacrificially. There are really awesome stories in the Bible about people who have given sacrificially. You have King Solomon who when he was made king, the law said that he has to sacrifice one bull. And so Solomon decides, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to sacrifice a thousand bulls. So he gathers a thousand bulls and sacrifices a thousand bulls. Why? Because it was abundant. Because it was sacrificial. King David, he, when he wanted to build the local church, the temple, he gave out of his personal wealth. Scholars have said that this is the largest single recorded offering from one person currently in the world. They then estimated his, the value of what King David gave at that time is now worth billions and billions of dollars in our, in our time. So he gave sacrificially billions of dollars out of his own personal wealth. In Mark 14, we have this amazing story of um, a prostitute who comes in and she has been forgiven by Jesus and she breaks the alabaster jar. Now, that alabaster jar, they said, was worth a year's salary. A year's salary, and she just takes it, and she breaks it over the head of Jesus, and it just washes over him. And she breaks it knowing that most of that is actually going to end up running through the floor, right? Soaking into the earth. But she still counted it as something worthwhile to give to him extravagantly, to love on him extravagantly because he has saved her, because he has restored her, because he has set her free. And Craig, of course, shared in Luke chapter 21 last week about the widow's mite. And she gave what was for her extravagantly. It, once again, it's never about the amount of what you're giving. 
as about your heart and the fact that you give. You see, you don't have to give huge amounts. This widow, Jesus was so impressed by her when she gave not more than two bits, which is probably only a couple of pennies. It's about giving sacrificially. It's about rearranging your life, reprioritizing your life so that you give to God first. Can we just get the musicians up? And I want to share a story that um, you can have a conversation with Craig about it afterwards if you want to know more. But this is actually his story. And it's something that I've thought about a lot. So about uh, 23 years ago, 24 years ago, Craig went on a missions trip. And he went into Europe, and he spent some time in Serbia. This was about a week before Serbia broke out into war. So I was really glad he w- I had left them when that happened. And he goes in there, and he spent time with this gypsy church, right? And this gypsy church, they had a pastor, and the pastor would travel around because they were gypsies. So they would be, you know, a few months here, a few months somewhere else, and they'd literally just travel around. So he would travel with, like this pastor would travel with them, and they, Craig had come in, and they were just ministering in there. And Craig said the food was terrible. He said they would serve milk soup, milk soup for breakfast, and milk soup was literally just hot milk. That was all it was. There was nothing else. Um, and for, there, was, there was no kind of midday meal, but they would have kind of a, a meal sort of late afternoon, and that was the dinner. And what they would serve them was three slices of luncheon, uh, a little thing of green. He thinks it was cabbage. He wasn't 100% sure. And that was actually their dinner. And Craig said at first he was a bit like, because he was young. You've got to remember, this is like 23, 24 years ago, whatever it was. And he was, he was kind of a little bit grumbly about it. Um, but then he started to notice that when they were served this meal, him and the pastor he was traveling, that how much these people would smile at them. They couldn't, couldn't, you know, they spoke a different language, so they had to have an interpreter. When the interpreter wasn't there, it was hard. He said, but they would smile at them so excitedly as they gave them this really small meal, this really odd meal. And Craig said it took a day or so before he realized that everybody else was just eating the green vegetables. Nobody else had lunch on their plate. And what had happened was because this small community of gypsies knew that these pastors were coming, that they'd come from, uh, from New Zealand where they have lamb. They didn't have lamb to give them, but they sacrificially gave out of their, their poverty enough money to buy luncheon for a week to feed these two pastors from New Zealand. And the smile on these people's face Craig said, suddenly made him realize this is probably the most amazing meal he's ever going to eat in his life because of the sacrifice that somebody had personally gone through to give that to them. God has blessed us with much more than we need. We are rich. We will not trust in our riches, but in Him who richly provides because we have more, we will give more. And what breaks my heart is that there are some people, and I don't believe there are very many in our church, but there are some people who go, all pastors in church want is your money. All they ever talk about is giving and giving and giving. Now, if you've been in our church long enough, you know we don't take up tithes and offerings in the service. And we do that on purpose. 
because it's irrelevant to someone who's not a follower of Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, I shouldn't have to convince you every week to do this. You should just be doing it, right? You don't know how blessed you are. And if you're here and you're like, you guys are just wanting our money, then I don't ever want you to give here. Just let us bless you then. If, if, honestly, if that, that's how you feel, we will just bless you. The team will bless you. We'll bless you with these nice seats. Who incidentally, over half of these seats were brought by one person. One person gave specifically to buy these seats. God has blessed us. We are rich. It actually doesn't matter to me if you give to us or not. But what it tells me is how much do you trust God? How much faith do you have in God? That's what I see. When our church gives, I know we trust God. I know we are a church full of faithful people. That's what I judge. Are we faithful? We're faithful because people are giving. I want us to be rich in what matters most. I want this church to be a generous church so that we're generous to one another, so that we're generous to our community, so that we're generous to people who are hurting, so that we're generous to God. Because I want people to be able to say, I thank God for Revive because Revive did this and I found Jesus. That's what I want to hear. Isaiah 32 verse 8 says, But generous people plan to do what is generous, and then they stand firm in their generosity. I want us to be a people who plan to do what is generous. Like I said, it's not about the amount. It's about your heart. Are you going to be generous? That's a conversation for you and God. This will be the last time this year I'll ever speak to you about this. And I want you to stand firm in your generosity. When your circumstances are telling you you can't afford it, when your debt is screaming at you that you can't afford to do this, have faith in your God. Stand firm in your decision. So why don't we...